Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I am so glad that you have joined us today. If you are a part of our Lighthouse Church family, we would love to connect with you via our social media at Lighthouse Church NC or online at lighthousechurchnc.org. We want to get you plugged into a connect group or on the dream team so that you are doing life together with people just like you. We hope you enjoy today's message and stay tuned for more announcements at the end of our podcast. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 3 and I want to read to you a couple of passages, a couple of scriptures and then I've got a very, very challenging sermon to preach today. This is one where I'm going to teach more than I preach, but this is something that we need to hear as we begin to unpack what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. What does the culture of the kingdom look like? We are learning about kingdom culture. Matthew chapter 3 Verse 13, it reads as follows. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. Everybody, everyone repeat this, say should be. Okay, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. For just a few moments, I want to talk to you on this subject. Could I or should I? Look at your neighbor and tell them that. I want you to look them in the eye and tell them, could I or should I? You know, um, for those of you that don't know my family, my beautiful wife, she's sitting right here in the front row. God has blessed us with three amazing little boys. They are our lions. They are three, five, nine, and their names are Jackson. That's the little guy. Jude, he's the middle one. And Jaden is our oldest one. How many parents do I have in the room? Where are my parents at? All right. And so fatherhood is a blessing, but what fatherhood allows us to do, and for parents that are in the room, what it really stretches us to do is to really teach our kids lessons and to teach them principles that they need to know, principles that they really need to live by. And teaching my children the difference between could and should is a big lesson. How many parents know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about could I or should I? You know, lots of times the kids will say, but daddy, I can do it. And you have to tell them, but you really shouldn't do it. This is a tension that we balance, right, as, as we raise children. Now, um, when our kids are young, for example, my Jude, he loves to jump off the furniture. I mean, he is a furniture acrobat. And so he thinks just because I could, I should just go on ahead and do it. Now, what's funny is that Jackson is three years old, but he thinks that he's got the dexterity of a 10-year-old. So if Jaden jumps off the second, if Jaden jumps off the bunk bed, the other day I saw my Jackson, you know, he's just three years old and he sees his nine-year-old brother jump from the top bunk to the floor and, and I'm watching this. And how many parents know what I'm talking about where I'm like, please don't do it, please don't do it. And there goes my three-year-old, right? He just, he nails the landing, but he's like, ah, and he's crying, right? Why? Just because he could doesn't mean that he should. Now, as we get older, we go into college, and how many know that it's a game changer when you get into college and you really have to learn the could and the should when you get into college? Because in college, they don't take attendance, do they? 
I mean, as long as your work gets done and you show up and you take the tests, that's all the teachers care about. How many of you, when you got into college, it was like, it was like fun for a second. It's like, you mean I don't have to go to class? No, you don't have to. And they're not going to call my mom and dad. They're not going to call your mom and dad. Some of you know what one of those withdrawals are on your transcripts because you missed way too many classes and you had to withdraw. Now, you could miss class, but that doesn't always mean you should miss class. Just because you could, because they're not taking attendance, doesn't mean that you should. Let me give you one more example. Let, let, me, let me just minister to the soul right now. How about when you sit, in, sit down at a Mexican restaurant and they plop those chips right in front of you? Just because you can eat the whole basket doesn't mean you should eat the whole basket. Can I get a good amen in this house? Are you guys getting my illustrations between just because I could doesn't mean that I should? Believe me, some of y'all, 4th of July, just because you could eat 10 hot dogs doesn't mean you should eat 10 hot dogs. How many are you guilty as charged? See, could is simply, if you're trying to define what does could really mean, it's simply the ability to do something. Just because I have the ability, I could, I can. But should is completely, it's a complete different definition. And should is really indicating an obligation, a duty, and a correctness. Could talks to my ability and should talks to obligation, duty, and correctness. Now let me take you to the text. In this passage of scripture in John chapter 3 that we just read, Jesus is coming down to be baptized by John. As we study kingdom culture, our approach to kingdom culture is reading the red letters in the Bible. That means the things that Jesus actually said. We are dissecting what Jesus said because language creates culture. And because language creates culture, we want to know what Jesus said. We're going to take a pause on what everyone else said and just focus on what Jesus said. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to last week's podcast. And by the way, it's now up on YouTube. Can we clap our hands for our creative team? who just launched the YouTube channel last week. So if you want to watch that, you can do that. But that will allow you to catch up. And so this is now the second time that we see the red letters in the text. The first time we saw red letters in the text was when Jesus was 12 years old and his parents forgot about him in Jerusalem. Now we are seeing the red letters for just the second time in the scriptures. And it's in the context of his baptism. Everybody say baptism. So Jesus' cousin John, if you didn't know, Jesus had a family. He had brothers. He had a mother. He had a father. And he had cousins. And he had a cousin by the name of John. And it's also known as John the Baptist. And John was baptizing people. He was a man of God. He was, um, you, could, you could call him a prophet. You can say that he carried the same anointing as a judge on his life. Um, he, he's really hard to put into a box theologically for those of you that like to be theologians in the room. But John was just a man that had the heart of God and really was on mission from God. And what he was doing, he's called John the Baptist is because he was baptizing people. And the Bible literally says that he was baptizing them with water so that they could repent from their sins and turn to God. So John's baptism was from the repentance of their sins and turning to God. But John also declared that the Messiah was coming, that there was somebody coming whose baptism was much more significant than that of John's. And John would say, Say openly, I am here to prepare the way for the one that is coming behind me. And the Bible says that 
one day, as John was doing what he was doing, baptizing people at the Jordan River, here comes Jesus, his cousin. And the Bible says that John saw him. Everybody say saw him. This wasn't like he saw Jesus coming down. He got supernatural revelation as to who Jesus was, and he declared to everyone around him, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John sees Jesus and identifies him as the Messiah, and he tells everyone that's listening, you know that guy that I've been telling you about? That's him. And what Jesus does is he comes to where John is to get baptized by him, and John stops him. And he says, wait a second, wait a second. And I'm going to paraphrase this. But John tells him, I'm not even worthy to tie your shoes. I'm not even worthy to unbuckle your sandals. I should not be the one to baptize you. If anything, you should be baptizing me. And it's Jesus' response that we want to focus on. Because Jesus tells him, it should be, everybody say should. It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. And I believe it is necessary. I believe that this moment was necessary because when you look at the end of Jesus's life, Jesus would later command that we are to be baptized. And he starts off by saying it should be done. And he submitted himself to baptism, even though, as John said, Jesus did not need to be baptized. He submitted himself to baptism and he said, it should be done. Everybody say should one more time. In the King James Version, how many of you learned the Bible growing up in church through the King James Version? That, that's how I learned my Bible. And so in the New Living Translation, it says it should be done. But in the King James Version, it says, suffer it to be so now. I know it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Suffer it to be so now. If someone said that to me. I'd be like, what do, you want with, what do you want on the side of that? I don't understand what you're saying. But he says, suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Now you understand why I read in the New Living Translation. It's kind of hard to untangle what Jesus was saying. But let me just grab some of what he said from the King James Version and marry that with what he said in the New Living Translation. Jesus was saying, it should be done so that we can fulfill all righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. And now I want you to write this down. This brings me to my first point that I want to make. And you all know my heart. I love to see you all taking notes. And if you're not taking notes today, then just write this down, okay? Righteousness is often found in the should. Righteousness is often found in the should. So what is righteousness? Righteousness is the character or quality of being right or just. That's what righteousness means. It means to be right or just. But righteousness is also an attribute. Everybody say attribute. It's an attribute of God. God, one of, of all the attributes that could describe him doing the right things for the right reason, righteousness is an attribute of God. And, and, and if you were to take this word righteousness, and if you were to go all the way back to the Greek, which is the language in which we have translated the Bible from into English, it comes from the Greek word dikaisune, and that means whatever has been appointed by God, listen now, to be acknowledged and obeyed by man. 
When he said this is necessary in order to fulfill all righteousness, what he was saying was this is something that must be done because this has been appointed by God to not only be acknowledged. It's not enough just to acknowledge something, but you have to obey that thing that God is asking you to do. That's what righteousness is. And so we believe that Jesus paid for the penalty of sin at Calvary. And so now everything that we do here on earth comes from a place of obedience because of what he has done not because we are trying to earn any favor with God I'm going to say that one more time so that sinks in when we talk about righteousness and we talk about should be one of the things that we need to understand right now is that the price for sin was paid at Calvary not if you believe that give me an amen if you believe that Jesus finished the work at the cross how many know there's nothing that we could do on top of what he has done in order to earn salvation come on let me get a Baptist knot up in this place if you're with me I know there's a lot of churches that tell you that you've got to do X, Y, and Z in order to get into heaven, but that means that what your works are able to do is greater than what his son was able to do on the cross, and that's bad theology. That's a legalistic approach to following Jesus. So Jesus has already paid the price for all of our sins. Jesus has removed all of our sins, and now what we do comes from a place of obedience to what he has already done for us us and it is because of that it's out of obedience it is in order to fulfill righteousness to be acknowledged and obeyed and so now we submit to the things that we should be doing because we want to like Jesus lean in towards righteousness we want to now lean in towards righteousness. Now, there's, a, a, like I said, we're getting into Baptism Sunday, and I, I want to I wanna teach this really in the way that it will be taught here in this house going forward. As a brand new church, we get to create culture and use language and, 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 and really um, define some things for this house because a lot of churches will define things in different ways for their house, and that's totally fine. But one of the things that I've heard is that baptism is merely an outward expression of an inward confession. And I will say that that dilutes the fact that it is also a commandment from God. You tracking with me so far? Some churches will dilute baptism to merely, you, you should probably get around to it, rather than this is something that really needs to be done. There's a lot of churches that will tell you it's just an expression, but because Jesus already paid the price, whether you do it or not doesn't matter. But here in this house, we believe and we teach that Jesus commanded us to do it, so we are going to do it. Can I get a good amen on that? He commanded that it be done, and because he commanded it to be done, don't let anyone tell you it's optional and something you should do if you get around to it. That's bad teaching. That's bad theology. I've had a lot of people tell me that. They said, you know, it's not anything that we should require of someone. Again, righteousness is acknowledging him and obeying him. We know that he's already fulfilled the requirement at the cross, but that doesn't take away the fact that he commanded that it should be done. Does that mean one plus one is going to equal two? No. Remember I told you guys last week, Jesus plus nothing still equals everything. Jesus plus nothing still equals everything. And nothing that I do earns my way into heaven. I don't punch a ticket in order to get in. All I have to do is confess with my mouth, believe in my heart. But you better believe I'm going to do everything that Jesus commands me to do. 
And I think that when we dilute baptism to just an option, we are straying away from the fact that he actually commanded us to do it. And what I love about the Bible is the Bible, here's another thing that you should probably write down if you've never heard this. The Bible interprets itself. I'm teaching. I told you I was going to be teaching today. Y'all okay so far? Everyone take a deep breath. Y'all still tracking with me? All right. So, Listen, the Bible interprets itself. Jesus said, I should do this. If there was anyone that didn't have to get baptized, it was Jesus. Amen? And yet he submitted himself to baptism. Amen? And he said, this should be done. And, and, and not only did he submit himself to baptism, but what did he say at the end of Matthew's gospel? He says, I want you to go into all of the nations, and I want you to baptize them. Matthew wrote that down. Mark wrote it down another way. Mark said, go into the nations and preach all the gospel. Those who believe and are baptized will be saved. That's what Mark said. Peter, another one of the apostles that rolled with Jesus, said it this way. Baptism now does save us. And then, it, and then Peter said in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. So Jesus submits to it. He commands it. And then his disciples repeat it. And so throughout the scriptures, there's not this option if you get around to it. Throughout the scriptures, there's not this religious mode, but there is this command that I need to get water baptized because it is something that I should do. Everybody say should do. That does not mean that my works save me. But listen, I want to do everything that Jesus commands me to do. I get it. It can be sometimes hard to grasp, especially if you grew up in a system where they teach you that your works save you. I remember sometimes visiting churches where someone, would want, someone wanted to make a decision for baptism and we treated it like a finish line rather than a starting line. But we teach here at this church that baptism is the beginning of a journey, not the end of a journey. If baptism was the end of the journey after you're baptized, I think you'd just get raptured up into heaven and you'd be done. You'd finish your race. But we teach that baptism is the beginning of a journey because after you have been baptized, you are now on this journey of, the, of fulfilling God's plan and purpose for your life. Are you with me so far? And so baptism, we believe that it comes from this place of a command because righteousness is often found in the should. And if this is a lot for some of you, I encourage you to go on a journey to search this out and to learn it for yourself as well. That's why the number one thing that we are after, as a, when we talk about the four, the four missional statements of our church, the first one is to what? To know God. Too many people don't know God and they only believe what's been preached to them, but they've never researched it for themselves. And you have got to know God. That's why, again, I grew up in a system where I think we swayed too hard in one direction. But then I see a lot of churches swaying too far in the other direction saying, well, you know, it's just kind of optional. If you get around to baptism, you really, you really ought to take care of that thing. And I, and I believe that baptism, the work in and of itself is not salvific. It's only through Jesus. But it is not optional because Jesus commanded us to be baptized. Are you with me so far? So it's right there in the middle. It's in that tension right there because it's, it, 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 the work in and of itself does not save me, but yet Jesus commanded me to do it. He, command, he fulfilled the obligation and he paid the debt of sin at the cross, and yet he said, you should do this. And yet Jesus said, I'm perfect and I'm going to submit to this. And every time I teach baptism class and I talk to someone and they ask, I mean, do I really need to do this? I'm like, I always ask, did Jesus really need to do it? 
did he really need to do it? But he did it because he was teaching that in the should, righteousness is often found. And here's some of the reasons why I believe that righteousness is found in the should. Second thing I want you to write down. Should I teaches me to be selfless. Everybody say selfless. Should I teaches me to be selfless. The culture of this world may be about getting yours or doing you, but kingdom culture teaches us to be concerned with the needs and the wishes of others in addition to mine. Do y'all know what selfless living is? It's really weighing what's happening with other people around you. It's not just about doing mine and getting mine. And we got to be careful with the culture of this world. That's why we're teaching kingdom culture. Because kingdom culture does not look like the world's culture. If you followed after the world's culture, you'd be all about getting yours. And you could care less about what it, what, how that impacts other people. But kingdom culture teaches us should I, and should I teaches us to be selfless. Say selfless. It is thinking about other people. The antidote to being self-centered is often found in learning how to serve others. That's why we want you to be part of the dream team. For those of you that are wondering, well, why does the church want me to serve? We want you to serve because we believe it is the antidote to living a self-centered life. And this culture teaches us to be self-centered. I heard this illustration, a preacher was preaching, and I thought it, it made me laugh, but do y'all remember the old disposable cameras from the 90s? You know what I'm talking about? You, you bought those things at like, at, uh, at Thrifty, you know, the grocery store, the drugstore, and then you'd have to wind those things up. Yeah, yeah. Nobody was taking selfies with those. Think about that for a second. Nobody was taking selfies with those. You had no idea what it was going to look like. You wouldn't be there with that disposable camera. I mean, you only had 12 pictures in that thing, right? So, I mean, those 12 things were precious. Nobody was taking something. And, I mean, it's like there was no chance to do that picture over something. You better nail that on the first try. I mean, if you were rich, you'd get the 24, you know, 24 pictures. But the standard was like 12. And, 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 and because of technology and 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 i am all for technology believe me we are doing things with production and um we are doing things with technology that we believe is going to take the gospel message further than we can reach just here in this city but just know that self-centeredness has shot up as a result because everything is faster everything is instantaneous and that word selfie didn't even exist 20 years ago didn't even exist. And so we have got to combat self-centeredness. And should I teaches us to combat self, uh, should I uh, teaches us to combat being self-centered by living a life of selfless, selflessness. Second thing that I want you to write down, should I teaches me submission. Oh, this is a tough one. We don't, we don't like the word submission a lot. We don't, we don't. We'll rock and roll in just a moment. Um, should I teaches us submission. Everybody say Submission. Jesus said he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve others. He voluntarily submitted his life to a life of serving other people. Jesus made a decision that even though I can come to this earth and demand that other people serve me, I came to serve others. Should I teaches me submission? And here's the reason why. This is another thing you might want to write down. It's not a point, but it's a good one. Submission teaches us to honor. Honor is the Honor unlocks doors because honor is the currency of the kingdom. Submission teaches us to honor. Honor unlocks doors because honor is the currency of the kingdom. When you learn to submit 
When you learn to lay down your preferences for the greater good of other people, you are now interacting in a culture of honor. This is now coming from a place of honor. And when you honor people, you'd be amazed at how many doors will unlock for you. I mean, that's not just in church. You can take that for work as well. Go start honoring that boss that you hate and watch what happens for your career. Someone, someone said that honor, one of the ways that you can honor your leaders, go to them and ask them, what are the things that you hate doing? And start taking them off their plate. Watch what that does for your career. Watch what that does for your life. Watch what that does for you. Submission teaches us to honor. Honor unlocks doors because honor is the currency of the kingdom. In the kingdom, we honor people. And I'm not talking about just honoring up. I'm talking about honoring down and honoring sideways. I'm talking, honor is getting to this place where you, 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 remember we talked about last week, we, our words either build up or tear down. Honor is constantly building up. Honor is never tearing down. Honor is always asking other people how it would impact them before you make that decision. That's honor. And when you ask the question, should I do this? Should I go and make that decision? Should I go in that direction? That's teaching us submission. And submission leads us to honor, and honor is the currency of the kingdom. Let me give you one more, and then I'm going to be done. You guys are with okay so far? And, and, this, and, and this is the last one. But listen, guys, this is, not, this is not an exhaustive list. This is what God was putting in my heart. So I, I'm talking about three things that should I does. There's so much more, okay? There's so much more. There's so much more blessing in the should I do this. Could I or should I? Here's the last one. Should I teaches me to think about my future. Should I do this? It teaches me to think about my future. As parents, we know that the decisions that we make will impact our kids. How many parents can say amen to that? And sometimes the older adult version of myself wants to go back in time and tell the younger single version of myself not to, walk, not to make that decision. How many, ever, how many of you have ever thought that way? I know, I'm like, man, if only the older version of me could have got a hold of the younger version of me, I would tell him, don't make that decision. That's not the right call. That's not the right thing to do. And so when you ask yourself, should I do this, you're also asking yourself, how will this impact my future? As a father, I'm constantly thinking about this. How will this decision impact my children? When my wife and I made the decision to start this church, and we prayed about it, and we asked God about it, and we had moments where we thought maybe this wasn't the right way to go. I remember there was even a moment where we were made a really good offer to not do this. We were made a really good offer to not do this. said, instead of doing that, why don't you do this? And it was a really good offer. And my wife and I, we talked about it. And I'll never forget, right, baby? We talked about it. And... Um, the first phone call that she made that day, she was leading a team, and the very first phone call she got was just God's confirming voice that we need to come up here and do this. And so we had to turn that other opportunity down to pursue this opportunity because it's what God was calling us to do. But I'll never forget, one of the things that really um, really moved me was when I had a conversation with my son, Jaden. He's nine years old. He, he's old enough to get it. You get what I'm saying? Jackson and Jude, I mean, they're, they're, they're happy. If grandma can come up occasionally to pick them up after church, they're as happy as can be. She's here today. I just put her on blast. But my three-year-old and five-year-old, they're going to roll with us. They don't care. If we told them we're going to go start a church in Kenya, who cares? They're coming, right? Um, but, but my nine-year-old, I mean, he's old enough to have a little bit of an opinion. 
He's old enough to have some friends. He's old enough to be impacted by this kind of decision. So I remember picking him up from school, and I asked him, I said, Jaden, mom and dad are getting ready to start a church. And he's like, yeah, I heard you guys talking about it. I'm like, well, how do you feel about it, Jaden? And Jaden, he's a processor. He likes to process things. So he started asking me questions. You know you got a smart one on your hand when you're asking him a question. He turns around and asks you questions of his own. <laughs> and he said, well, Dad, is there going to be iConnect there? Which is what kids men. I'm like, yeah, 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 there's going to be iConnect. And is there going to be Clubhouse up there? I said, eventually, yeah, not when we start because we're only going to have one service. But when we get to two services, then we'll have enough, you know, people to go ahead and start Clubhouse. He goes, okay, Dad. And he goes, and there's going to be other kids like me. I'm like, yeah, baby, you're going to make more friends. And, and listen, none of your friends are going away, okay? They're still going to be here. But you're going to go make more friends. So what do you think? And he's like, yay, let's do it, Dad. And can I tell you the reassurance that I had in my heart just here and go, yay, let's do it, Dad. And he was so excited because I got to be honest, if he would have broke down crying, how many know parents that would have been like, man, heavy on your heart? But I knew that this decision impacted my future. To all the singles in the room, let me just give you a little wisdom here. Your should, your should I, should, it must be connected to God and connected to the purpose that he has for you. For all of you that are single in this room, your should I must be connected to God and the purpose that he has for you. Should I do this? How will this impact my relationship with God? Should I do this? How will this impact his purpose for my life? Should I do this? How will this impact who he's called me to be? You guys will track with me so far? Should I impacts our future. And so Jesus stood, let me come back and I'm going to close with this. So Jesus is standing at the Jordan River. And I got so much more to say about this, but, but this is all we got for today. But listen, Jesus is standing at the Jordan River, ready to get baptized. And John the Baptist stops him. Tells him, you don't need to do this, Jesus. If anything, I should be the one baptizing you. And Jesus submitted. And he said, this should be done. There's a lot of people in this room that have never made a decision to get baptized and you've got a lot of reasons why you've made it up in your mind that you are not ready for baptism. But can I tell you something that they told me when I was having my first kid? You're never going to be ready for it. If you could be ready for baptism, if you could be good enough to get baptized without God, then you would not need God. We don't get God to get, I'm sorry, we don't get good in order to get God. We get God in order to get good. And so a lot of people to want to hold off on getting baptized till everything is perfect. But let me tell you, you should do it. You should do it. Because it's the best decision that you're ever going to make. Jesus submitted himself. And he, and he tells John, this is something that I should do. Do I need to do it? No, I don't need to do this. Do, should I do it? I should do it. And for those of you that are thinking about it, you've been hearing me talk about Baptism Sunday, I'm going to ask you to make that choice to do that today. Would you close your eyes and just lean in? I'm done preaching, but I want you to just kind of lean in on your chair. Let's lean in and let's pray together. Right there where you're at. Let's just begin to pray. I've spoken, and now the Holy Spirit's going to start working on your hearts right now. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, move in the hearts. Holy Spirit, touch every life. Holy Spirit, bring us to that place where we make that decision of what we should do. Not out of a place that we could. Not a decision based on satisfying our flesh. Not a decision based on satisfying our desires. But a decision based on doing the things that we should do because we want to be made righteous. We want to pursue righteousness. 
the name of Jesus, we thank you, God. We thank you, God. We love you, Jesus. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.